You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I got the chance to speak to British hip-hop artist Lady Sanity. So Lady Sanity helps define the women of this podcast volume. So volume five, Who Runs the World? We're looking at veteran women that have paved the way and new up-and-coming women on the rise that are going to crush down this music industry. Lady Sanity is one of those latter individuals. She has continued to rise in prominence and notoriety within the hip-hop scene and specifically the UK music scene. We get into a conversation about culture, about hip-hop, about perspective, about music, and it, I tell you what, it, we went deep. We went deep on this one, and I cannot think Lady Sanity enough. It was an absolute pleasure and delight. So stick around for my conversation with Lady Sanity after this. Listening to After the Encore, I'm your host Joe Shaw, and I am here with royalty. I'm here with Lady Sanity. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? How are you? I'm, well, you know, I'm doing well. It's uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know when anybody is listening to this, so it could, who knows what's <laughs> going on. But right now, it is Friday of Election Week uh, here in the United States, and we have zero idea of what's going on. <laughs> it's cool. It's not like anybody is glued to their TVs or their computers or refreshing <laughs> Twitter or anything like. Yeah, not like the whole world is kind of, you know, just checking for regular updates. So, yeah, just a chilled one, man. Yeah, we're just, you know, we're just kicking it. It's all good. No worries. <laughs> you know, it's a regular Friday. No worries. But but <laughs> but I'm excited. You know, we were talking a little offline, and I, there's a couple of different Instagram accounts I follow here being in Dallas, and it's usually hypes local music in Texas for artists for you to follow, but then they will also bring in artists outside of uh, Dallas for you to be interested in following. Like, I think they call it like um, ones on the rise or something like that. And so whoever manages that account tagged you and listed um, your album. Um, oh, it was the one right before a problem shared. 
And um, so that would be, uh, why has it escaped my mind? I don't know. Well, I, but... I just had it. Oh my God, this is not looking good. Um, <laughs> line and truth, line yes, and truth. thank you. It yes, second, yes, yeah. yes. And they actually linked out to Time and Space. That was the, oh. um, that was a specific song. And so I got hooked on your music and was super excited and went, you know, for this specific volume, since we're talking about badass women and we're looking at women that have kind of paved the way, nominate for grannies and veterans and other women that are just going to come and knock it down. I was like, Lady Sanity fits right <laughs> into that. She's, she's got so much good material and I know it's just going to keep getting better and better. So I'm excited to dig into all of that. I do like to start off with uh, one specific question just to really set the tone of all the episodes. And that is, what does music mean to you? Ooh, that's a good question, man. <laughs> wow, that, that's quite deep. Um, what does music mean to me? I think, I think music to me, it's a lot of different things, but I think one thing I can say is like a method of, of transportation. Mm. So, um, in a lot of different ways as well like it can it can trans you transport you to a place of like happiness or sadness or you know excitement depending on what you're listening to but then also um you know you can get so much out of music in terms of like uh, understanding for the time that a certain piece of music is being written or you know um what's going on culture like so yeah man to me music is is just a way of kind of capturing the time and a way of taking you out of a space and putting you into another one. Yeah. I like that, that idea of it's, it's like a vessel, like it's, it's moving, mm. it can transport you across time and space. Uh, mm. No, no pun intended actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but I also love the idea of like understanding the, the contextual nature of when the song was written. So I know mm. I, am a fan of Bob Dylan and I was uh, you know during the uh, right before the election actually it was it was a couple months ago during a lot of the protests and counter protests from different groups and hearing the times they are changing come on and and understanding yeah. when he wrote it in the 60s and how it's also very applicable to what's going on now in 2020 right. was crazy it was this interesting way where it's like it's both currently relevant and previously relevant and yeah, and that, I think that's the power that a good song and a good piece of music has but then it's also something where it's like it's not only transporting you but it's also um, empowering you and calling you to action like we can't be mm. silent we need to speak out we need to make the world better we need to share our thoughts and ideas because mm. when we as artists stay silent then you know, for lack of a better phrase, the bad guys win kind of a thing, you know? A hundred percent, man. We've got to use what we've got. A hundred percent, man. And like you said, you know, good music um, is is almost solidified in time. So it's like, mm. no matter what, at what time you're listening to it, you can somewhat connect to, or at least, like I said, it will transport you to that place, right? So like you said, good music and good songs never die. Like they'll, they'll always live and always have a place in, in time. Right. Definitely. I, uh, I want to, I want to start by kind of winding the clock back a little bit for those who are listening and maybe unfamiliar, you are from Britain. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're not from <laughs> the United States of America in that regard. No, no. So, so, um, <laughs> walk me through what some of your early life was like, uh, growing up, uh, in England and how some of your first forays into music occurred okay um well 
like you said, I'm from the UK. I'm from a place called Birmingham, Birmingham, oh. which is isn't you know Alabama. <laughs> so, um, but Birmingham is like the second city in the UK. Um, so it's still quite big. Um, a lot of different cultures, races, religions, all of that stuff. Um, and yeah, a lot of my early memories were literally just like I grew up really close to my grandparents. Um, both of my parents were constantly working, so it was like my grandparents used to like do the school run and like pick me up and stuff um and yeah and because I'm like the youngest of so many grandkids as well it was a lot of the time I was kind of like the baby of the family so again just like I couldn't get up to too much because I had so many older cousins looking like looking out for me but at the same time it was nice because again none of the kids on like on the like around the area would mess with me because it was like oh you're so-and-so's like Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, a lot of my er- earliest memories were literally just like, yeah, just pretty much just being the baby of the family, just being surrounded by a lot of family. I've come from a huge, huge family on both sides. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that's a lot. That's well, a lot for me. Right. <laughs> I know that a lot of folks have have come on the show and talked about either finding music on their own or being part of a some type of musical family. So did you have family mm-hmm. members that were pretty musically inclined or was music just kind of baked into your day-to-day life with everybody just kind of like moving with the rhythm kind of a thing? How did that work? Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing that I always find. Um, I, I didn't, nobody in my family does music. Um, so again, it was pretty much just me being pushed onto me really (laughs) like um again like I said being the youngest I didn't really have much choice over like what I was listening to so it's either like I don't know reggae from my dad constantly or um like my sister listened to a lot of garage which in the UK is like I don't know what you describe it as it's like electronic music but kind of like yeah so it's like drum and bass and you know it's quite sure digital and um so that was like a massive massive genre when my sister was growing up she's like six years older than me so I was constantly hearing stuff like that but then also a lot of my cousins as well like um I think in the 90s it was a massive thing where a lot of the a lot of the hip-hop from like the US and New York and stuff was really being pushed into the UK market so I was you know listening to like a lot of Busta Rhymes and things like that so it was literally just a massive fusion of music that I was hearing and different cultures that I was hearing um and at the same time, the UK was also developing its own culture right. because a lot of us were like first, second generations, you know what I mean? Over here, either our parents or our grandparents were from a lot of the time, like um, Africa or the Caribbean. So for us, it was also like us developing our culture at the same time, but also having all these other influences. Yeah. No, definitely. And, you know, I think that's, that's interesting. So I had the pleasure of getting to study overseas when I was in college and, mm-hmm. and study in, in Britain at the University of Westminster. And something that was really interesting to me was a lot of the um, second, you know, first or second generation students that I went to school with. And they would tell me about their yeah. cultural, their culture and their heritage and how... Yeah it was woven into who they are and how they came up. But what was, what always struck me and, and I, and I understand like I'm, I'm a uh, white man in America. So I, I, tr- <laughs> I am doing my best to, to educate myself uh-huh. and, and be a better person. Cause uh, my, my type of people suck. And, uh, 
<laughs> just hey, not all of you, man. Not no, all of you. No, but but, but the vast majority, unfortunately. Um, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> but but, um, <laughs> but I what struck me as interesting um, was the fact that so I think. This is how I want to couch it is like when I grew up, we talked a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement in the United States in the 60s. And mm -hmm. when I was in England, I asked, like, when did that kind of culture shift happen? And it was kind of quiet. It was it was more responsive, like, well, it's just things over time kind of changed, kind of didn't change. It just kind of is. And there was it seemed to me and I understand like my knowledge is limited, but it seemed to me that there wasn't like a big the civil rights movement happened in this time. This was the outcome. Mm -hmm. This was the figurehead of the movement kind of a thing. It just seemed like it was part, like people either talked about it or didn't. So what was your like maybe experience, um, you know, as a, as a, as a black woman in Britain, what was mm -hmm. your experience like that growing up? How did you encounter or how did you deal with, with discussions of race and, and how it relates to you, your family and the rest of the people in the country? Mm. Well, I, I think that's such an interesting one, um, because again, like I said, me being from um, Birmingham, being in such a diverse city, I don't think, I don't think a lot of the time, like I ever had a moment where I was really like, I don't know who I am, because my family, again, like I said, were all very close, and like right. I knew that my grandparents were from like Jamaica, and you know, we talk about things like that quite a lot, but I always remember like certain times I'd start to question things like for example I remember when I was younger and I was playing out um around my area because there were certain areas although it's quite diverse that were still very like um were still very like white or right. there weren't as many black kids around and the area that I, I first lived in was one of those um and I remember I was playing out one day and this girl said the n-word to me and wow. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, I didn't sure. know what that was. So I went home and I, I like I said it to my sister and she flipped and she went outside and like my cousins came outside and it was just crazy. So um, again, I feel like there's just moments through times where although you feel like, yeah, this is my home, there are also things that make you very aware, like maybe this isn't my home, you know, and there's, and there's mm. certain challenges yeah. and little moments that happened to me throughout growing up that made me feel like, Although I'm British, am I really like welcomed here? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's a struggle for sure because I think, like you said, like in the in the US, you know, you had the whole civil rights movement, and that's very much it's taught over here as well um, in our schools. And that, like, every time when we have like Black History Month, it's straight away like you know talking about slavery and things like that. But right. our school systems don't educate us about like again, like our grandparents coming over here and. Right the Windrush generation and things like that. And even things like carnival, which is like a thing that happens yearly in the UK, um, that is very much like predominant black culture and, and, and a mixture of that coming into the UK. Like there, there are so many things that we're not educated on, but yeah. I think about a year, a year and a half ago, like I, I made the conscious decision to look into that history a little bit deeper and I'm still learning things, you know, but yeah, um, I feel like for, for a lot of, black people in the UK it's still like a struggle to really feel at home and feel like you're understood a hundred percent and it doesn't help when you have a vocal majority of folks whether it's the actual numerical majority of people mm. but a vocal majority of people saying things like you don't belong like like the yeah. collective you 
doesn't belong yeah. here. Go back to where you come from. Like that type of rhetoric yeah. and hate speech is is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous that you have that yeah. in 2016, 2017, 18, 19, 20. And mm -hmm. you have events like the civil, I almost said civil war, Whoop. civil rights, yeah. <laughs> civil rights movement yeah. that, you know, seemed on the surface to move things at least incrementally in the right direction. But I will say, you know, mm -hmm. it's very prevalent that you have uh, some of the things I'm noticing here. Um, I have a good friend that's on a, um, a school board here locally and yeah. he's a, um, uh, a Latin, a Latinx man. And he talked about the fact that he said, the problem that we have with history as it's taught mm -hmm. black history, Latin history, etc. He's like, is mm -hmm. we don't start it from a place of power. We start it from a place of servitude and slavery. Facts. And when yeah. you start there, you subconsciously teach people who identify with that culture that you're starting yeah. out negative 10. You're not starting yeah. out at zero. So you're already thinking, oh, I've got to overcome and I've got to start out. It's like if we took it back, take it mm -hmm. back to Africa, take it back to the Caribbean where yeah. you have a Caribbean, um, take it back and you teach people, here are the kings and queens and the rulers yes. and the emperors of the tribes before yeah. they were caught and captured and sold into slavery. 100%. Then you're yeah. able to see the full story and context to say, oh, we did have our own entire like area and structure and power yeah. dynamic and then it was ripped away from us and we're just now trying to get it back mm -hmm. like centuries later and 100% man and he was like but that's but the people that are making those decisions about what's being taught are the people who have the most to lose from empowering an entire different group of people and by that mm -hmm. I mean <laughs> white men um <laughs> and and so but I think, but that's the thing is like, I, I grew up so often and like, I didn't know, I mean, there's so much I even think about that, that occurred in this country that I wasn't aware of. For instance, like the, yeah. the act of redlining after um, the great depression in the United States of actually actively saying, okay, the poor people uh, are yeah. going to be on this side of the line and they're going to predominantly be people of color. And then the wealthy districts are going to be over here, which you're still seeing the effects of now. And then talking 100%. about like. You talk about the the Japanese internment camps in World War II. I had no idea that those two things, redlining and the Japanese internment camps, occurred until I was out of yeah. college. Like that is utterly ridiculous. And <laughs> For real. but it's because that type of history is not something that is good. Like does not make me feel good, right? Obviously, because it's mm -hmm. it's horrible things that happen. But it's important to recognize so we can see the missteps that folks have made and we can work to correct it because if we're not aware of it and it gets wiped out and erased, then we are just doomed to repeat history um, from the people who are in 100%. charge. But yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. But I, I, as you said, like at the same time, um, it's so important to have everyone having the, these discussions. And I think with everything that's happened this year and, and having to really take a step back and look at ourselves, like it was black history month here in the UK last month. Oh, and so it's, every, it's Black History Month in October in the UK. Yeah, in, Octo in, in okay, October cool. in the UK. So, um, and a lot, a lot of people have said, and me myself, I feel like this has probably been one of the best Black History Months that we've had because awesome. a lot of places, like um, you know, the the big media channels, and have actually given more Black people the space to talk about their experience. You know, which again, it's a shame that it just it's just for a month, but at the same time, it's been such a powerful month black people and black culture in the uk um and you know a lot of people have actually said like i was i wasn't aware because of my own privilege but it it being so in your face it's like 
I'm starting to listen now. I'm starting to educate myself. So I feel like we're, we're taking steps in the right, right place. Um, and obviously there's negative things as well. You see a lot more people come out that, that are very much like refuse to accept that racism is, is, is even a thing here. Um, I remember there was a massive like opera, I think around this time last year, a UK rapper said that uh, the UK is, is one of the, what did he say? He was like, the UK is, no, I think somebody said uh, that the UK is one of the least racist countries. And I think the rapper's response was, but just because it's, it's apparently one of the least, it's still racist. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> So it was this. There was this whole yeah. like uproar yeah. on social media of people saying, "Well, you know, black people still have the rights to go and do blah blah blah." But like you said, like just because it's not as in your face to you, there's still so much right. racism all of us face. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. It's like I get so <laughs> irritated, so irritated when you have like I oh, I've had conversations with with people. Uh, other hmm. other white men, surprisingly, um, <laughs> who have said things like, "I don't know why they're mad. Like they got a yeah. black president, they should <laughs> be fine." I'm just like, it's "Oh like my you've god, got this, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like you've got this, so surely you should be grateful." But it's like we still, we still, like, oh like you god. said, we still starting from a position um, where we're seen as lesser than. Yes. And until we get that same starting position and that same like outlook and the same opportunities, right? And of course we're going to be upset because we're automatically put as a, put at a disadvantage. But like people are starting to talk up over in the UK anyway, so I'm I'm super proud of that. And I'm, that's good. Even though it's going to be a struggle, you know, I, I feel like we're taking the right steps and the uncomfortable conversations to move forward. Exactly. I mean, we even talk about like we're in the middle of the elections that reference earlier the American election and mm-hmm. and the the way in which we structure our voting system mm-hmm. favors the mm-hmm. previous individuals in the majority of the population, white folks. Yeah. And that's with the electoral college. And I think there is a way forward where you could still have an electoral college and you could have equal representation as far as like each state having a weighted representation and yeah. have a popular vote that makes sense. Um, but because we have an all or nothing um, mm-hmm. type of voting system, then it, it, yeah. it disproportionately goes to certain states which are heavily yeah. dominated by white people i mean just facts are facts and so yeah and so you have people that like so i was having this conversation where i grew up being taught like the electoral college is vital like if we Mm. didn't have it be decided this people this people and i thought through i'm like who all was telling me this oh white people (laughs) who had a lot to lose and i mean i mean truthfully and so when i think about like like these people that are sp- continuing to spin this narrative of like this is yeah. why this is why these processes are in place. I always go, okay, I don't disagree that there needs to be a process and a rule mm-hmm. for for certain things, but can we examine the historical context of when these rules were made and what the overall goal was? Despite like you can say founding fathers wanted this, but you can also yeah. say that they didn't believe that black people were an like a whole person. So exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about the three fifths. You know, I mean, let's talk about the fact that they did not believe that they should be able to vote. Let's not. Let's talk about the yeah. fact that even when women got the right to vote, not all women got the right to vote until way 100%. later. I mean, you know, and it's just like you. You can say that these laws matter, and they do. But if we're not examining our framework and who we are and figuring out how we can improve, then we're not mm. doing right by our 
countries and by ourselves yeah. to examine it and just say, I think we could do better. Mm. Like we've not reached the pinnacle of political perfection. So 100%. why are we stopping? And that, and that goes for over here too, man. Right. You know, with, with a lot of the, the systems that we vote with um, for Brexit and the, mm. the, a lot of things that, you know, that you look and you think, is this really democracy? Right. You know, so... <laughs> I just, I have to like sidebar. When I was in London, uh, Boris Johnson was the buffoon mayor. And the fact that this he's the prime minister, I'm like, what the fuck happened? This I'm is what I'm saying. But I, I can't I talk. Swear. I've got like, DJ Trump is in the office. So like, hey, I mean, you may be able to talk soon. So, you know, we're hopefully, still here. Hopefully. My, we're uh, still here. <laughs> vote, uh, vote Joe, right? You know, that <laughs> it works I'm sorry, but this is what I'm saying. I always grew up seeing this guy as like, the really untidy messy hair like <laughs> panicky mayor of london and panicky i was like mayor this... of london yes that's yeah it. like i always looked at this guy and thought yeah he looks like he should be like a, on an after school special or something just like throwing pies at people and <laughs> lo and behold he's running the whole of the uk yeah right. it's crazy it's, it's just it's crazy time <laughs> well anyways um you're listening to after the encore i'm your host joe shaw and we'll be right back after this give me time and space I don't really wanna have that come put them in place Flow got a nice ring but I really can't engage Cause if you track cause I never look to my final stage Yeah, yeah, final stage, yo, yo, give me time and space I don't really wanna have to come put them in place Flow got a nice ring but I really can't engage Cause if you track cause I love a lot to my final stage yeah. <laughs> To my final, to my final yeah. stage Yo, if they did a body bag for beats, I'd be the best client They dread try and put on weight like I left diet You get air like pilots, dead silence You're listening to After the Encore, I'm your host Joe Shaw And you know what, uh, we have a problem shared That's not just a pun, we've been talking about The problem that we have with regards to bigotry and racism, xenophobia, homophobia, (laughs) all the phobias. I mean, there's a lot going on, but I'm here with Lady (laughs) Sanity and we're back. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a Mm. lot going on, but I want to kind of, let's take a break from it. And I really want to start talking about some of your early musical uh, ventures as far as the albums and the songs you're putting together. How did the early construction of those days work for you i believe i read that you're uh, one of your influences we talked about busta rhymes for sure but also mm-hmm. kendrick lamar i believe is an influence for you yeah because i get definitely. that before i even saw that yeah. i got i was like this is a little like wow. kendrick lamar vibe wow <laughs> i mean the the like the that feel means a lot, the, man. yeah the yeah. lines the rhythm just everything that means a lot man yeah yeah but yeah let's um, talk through that okay so um one thing that i tell people that everyone's usually surprised by uh, when i was growing up i really disliked music I really disliked music and that's just because it was constant like I said it was constantly being played sure. right yeah, yeah, yeah over and over and over again and that. for me I was really like into animation and things like that so mm. a lot of the time I just wanted to watch cartoons man and it was like no I want to watch MTV right so um <laughs> I really wasn't here for music at first but I don't know I think again just having the influence of it constantly being played around me it just hit me one day and I was like you know what I'm gonna try and start writing lyrics and I was, I was really, I was really sh- like shy as a kid as well. So again, like the whole idea of performing wasn't for me. I was very much um, a SoundCloud rapper before SoundCloud was really a thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I um, I, again, I just stuck to my bedroom. I used to record stuff and at the time put it up online. And I think a kid from my school must have found out about it. 
and then decided to share it on a uh, a, a local page like our local school page yeah. and I remember going to school the next day feeling so nervous because I was like people from like years above me have heard this now and I was like this could be material to get bullied you know what I'm saying yeah, like, like it wasn't the great I was I was proper stress and again not being the most confident of kids I was like I'm gonna go into school and it's gonna be pressure but like I got such a great reception like I came in and like kids were running up to me like oh you're that girl that raps and yo like the track was really good blah blah yeah. blah blah and I was proper like ecstatic about it so again it just built from there and I started you know rapping on the playground and you know battle rapping the boys and things like that because none of the girls rap so it's right. me just like battle rapping or clashing as we call it in the UK like clashing the guys I love it the that's awesome and yeah and then yeah um, my music teacher in um, my secondary school or high school as you guys would call it right. my secondary school was like a massive influence on me because he pretty much forced me to to perform as much as possible in front of people um I had to pick guitar up as an instrument because you couldn't pick um like rap it had sure. to be sing. <laughs> so it was like you had to pick an, an instrument so I picked guitar and I used to like rap and play guitar and oh, that's um, dope. Yeah, yeah yeah I'm trying to start doing more start doing more of it um because I do it every now and again, but definitely not as as often. As I started to get more serious with with um, rapping, I kind of stepped back from guitar. But um, yeah, he was a massive influence, and and you know always made sure that I was consistent with it too. So yeah, man, it just developed. I went into education, and you know picked it. Um, I actually went to university to study music technology as well. Oh, Got a cool. bachelor of science degree in music tech. So. Yeah, man, it, it just, it, it's just the stepping stones, I guess. I never would have imagined that it would be my full-time career, but right, it just went from a passion to me just wanted to pursue it and luckily being able to. What was the timeline from uh, when you, what was the year when you graduated from university with that degree? University, I think that was 2015. Okay. 2015, 2015. yeah. 2015, okay, cool. Yeah. And then, so getting that, you know, I think it's, I think it's really crucial the mm -hmm. what you mentioned about your music teacher forcing you to perform as often as possible mm -hmm. because it you know with everything in life repetition is going to help you improve yep. improve improve and I mean there's a lot of times where it's just like it's nerve-wracking to get out there and perform <laughs> and right. and fucking fall flat on your face I'm and selling you man but and but I then you learn and you're like let me incorporate <laughs> this into the next into the next yeah. experience a hundred percent yeah and and for me it was super stressful because i actually had like a condition from, from like from my, my one of my grandparents like your hand constantly shakes and it's not like i'm nervous my hand will just shake regardless so for me then to go on stage even when i'm feeling confident and my hand is constantly shaking then it makes me more nervous because i'm like are people just watching my hand shake and right. thinking this girl's terrified <laughs> like yeah and you're trying to step out as some confident mc and it's just not happening because it's like how are you doing everyone shake 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 so you know what i mean right. but um again like you said it's just repetition man and i think it was it was good enough for me to keep a like a consistency of, of always pushing myself so not getting too comfortable but also making sure i was i was taking the steps slowly as well do you know what i mean so i yep. wasn't completely throwing myself in the deep end and and doing stuff that i wasn't prepared for to just 
end up looking whack basically. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> so what, what, um, between 2015, so 2015 to 2020. So in this five year mm -hmm. period, and then I know in the next segment, we're going to talk about kind of the, the origins and the stories behind a problem shared, uh, that mm -hmm. whole EP, but mm -hmm. in those five years between university and now, yeah. How did you start? Cause let me, let me frame it this way. A lot of folks when they're starting, when they're before they get kind of like their break in music and get signed or have representation yeah. and start doing these shows, they'll have like a yeah. day job and a couple of other different things, either in the yeah. industry or outside. So what were, were you working multiple jobs at this point or were you just solely focused on music? How did that manifest for you? Yeah, to be fair, I, I only quit working, um, in 2018. Okay. So I was, I was working multiple jobs alongside trying to find something that fit into music so I was doing majority of my work was like retail okay sure. um so I, I did quite a few retail jobs and you know customer serving jobs and to be fair I, I have to give my hats off as well like a lot of those jobs also gave me the confidence when it came to doing things like networking yeah so I I, I say it to artists coming up all the time like if you don't have means to really like make things work right now and you still have to get paid like take on a job that you can still transfer the skills into your music or business wise because again like you're not just going to be given a manager or you know a label that can represent you you have to represent yourself first yes. so like working those jobs I you know just to communicate with people and 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 things like that you know basic yeah. soft skills that someone that isn't the most confident can now you know apply them to to music and, and networking and things like that um so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd done a couple of those jobs and then the more opportunities picked up I started to make the same amount of money off of music than I was working and I was like I'm gonna have to leave my job yeah. and it was I, I liked my job at the time yeah. as well so it was it was upsetting but at the same time I was like it's something I need to do and if I'm not gonna do it now like when am I gonna do it like yes. I'm still young. I, I don't have any kids, right. you know, and I'm never going to have the freedom that I have right now. Do you know what I mean? In yep. future. Um, so I, I had to take that dive. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting what you talked about. So I heard someone say, someone actually on the show talked about the fact that nobody is going to care as much about your music as you. So you have yep. to be your best representation, regardless 100%. of who else is representing you. And 100%. And I grew up and I used to, even when I started working in the corporate world, I cringed when somebody would talk about networking. Because in my mind, networking <laughs> was like a used car salesman that was just like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? What can I get you? <laughs> yeah. Or like one of those like, like um, oh, is it multi-level marketing things where it's like, hey, I got a tub of Herbalife I can sell you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, introduce me to yeah, 10 man. of your friends for, for an opportunity of a lifetime, like whatever. But, but then I realized I had a really good mentor that said, Networking is that um, yeah. for some people, yeah. but the people that are successful are going and making authentic and genuine one-on-one con -on -one connections with people with yep. no thought towards getting anything out of them. They see them as a person Facts. and they're genuinely curious and interested in them and their story. Then Facts. they find out like, oh, you are also in the music business. That's super cool. Here's a little mm -hmm. bit about me as well. Like, you seem like a really cool person. Let's stay in touch and just leave it at that. And then when opportunities present themselves, you can say, oh, hey, Joe, like, 
we had chatted about this. We talked about this. Is there somebody you would recommend me talking to about this? Or are there Aren't some you? feedback you can give me or whatever? And not asking them to do something for you, but asking them for more like their advice and their guidance and who, who that they think you would be a good fit with. And then oftentimes those people themselves will say, well, actually, I'll take a listen to it or I'll take a look at it or let me help there you. There you or, go, man. And then then people feel like they're helping out a friend in a genuine like connected you person go. as opposed to, oh, you only reached out because you needed something. Cool. Peace. Exactly. Exactly. And this is the thing. Like, I'm, I'm happy that I learned that at an early stage, but also I figured it out for myself. And again, it was because of those jobs because, you know, working in retail and sales, it's like, you can give, of course, you can give like a basic level of service and be like, yeah, you're buying this cool. Great. Right. But then you can go above and beyond and then actually make conversations like, you know, how was your day and things like that and actually figure out why the people are there. Yes. And that's when, you know, you get the good feedback and the good feedback leads to your boss being happy. And when your boss is happy, it's like, I've got an open mic in London. Can I take the day off? Right. Of course you can. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. like, again, building up like that likability, I guess, yes. will work in your favor. Like if not today, then it will tomorrow. So it helped me, man. It helped me a bunch. Definitely. So what was it like as we're, as we're talking about the, the construction of an album, when you're mm -hmm. working on uh, Lion and Truth, what mm -hmm. were some of the some of the motivating factors one to make it and then what were some of the influences that you wanted to pour into the record well um to be fair line and truth again I, I just i just really wanted to show with everything that i create especially when it's a body of music i always want to show a jump in whether it's personal growth or musical growth or both basically i always just want to show development sure um and when it came to line and truth like I've been through so much between that and my last project. Um, and again, it was just, it was really just me wanting to show that. So I took, I took the dive into to being, you know, full-time employed in music and, um, you know, I'd, I'd lost family members. And like I was talking to you about previously, that also made me want to dive into learning more about myself and my culture and how I'm here as a black woman in the UK do you know what I mean yeah so again I'd done a lot of like research into like history and and the Windrush generation and my grandparents coming over here from the Caribbean so yeah. there were a lot of different things that helped me construct that that um that project and I think I've done a good job in yeah. showing that development and also like making people have a taste of what it's like to be a, a young black woman growing up in the UK, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, the thoughts and the feelings that you have, and also just an, an artist as well, just trying to develop her craft when you're not really being given like a look into the industry. So it's again, me just, just trying to stand on my own two feet and, and pave a way for myself. Yes. A hundred percent. It, it was interesting to me. Like this is, like I think ever since I started realizing that about the um, the lack of I don't know a better way to say it, but we talked about it earlier, like the lack of a overall like civil rights movement type of a thing. Mm -hmm. It's been my understanding that I, that I I've wanted to know like what is it like to be black in UK in the mm -hmm. UK bec without any type of moment? Because I think about the fact that it's yeah. like. At some points, it felt yeah. very like, oh, I don't see a lot, of, a lot of obvious racism that I did yeah. 
yeah. United States. But but then Rio Ferdinand plays a game and gets a banana thrown at him. Uh, there you Lukaku. go. <laughs> and, and so it's just like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you definitely did a good job at that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, de- and definitely, and this is the thing why, again, I, I can't stress enough that I really hope in the coming years that, that uh, Black British history will be taught more in our education systems because even me reading at, how old was I? Like 22, 23, 22 years of age, like figuring out that, there were things like riots and and you know um houses being burnt down mm-hmm. and things in london you know what i mean um and the racism that my grandparents generation had to face coming over here i mean i i you kind of assume that it wasn't you know peace and harmony but then reading these stories and you know the struggles that they had to go through it's almost unimaginable you know what i mean to mm-hmm. think that it was only like 40 or so years ago is crazy like and then like you say it's like you you like to think that things have moved forward and improved but then you get situations like that and it's like have we how far have we really come do you know what i mean right no definitely definitely it's it's crazy just overall just the how how far we've come Mm -hmm. and and how far we still have to go i mean yeah i mean i'm thinking about like because I think 2020 has been so crazy and there's been a lot going on, it's brought a lot of things to the forefront um, for a lot of people. For the good, the good part about it, um, if I can talk about a silver lining is the fact that I think people are the people who were maybe on the fence as far as not being an Mm -hmm. active, active ally um, have really done the homework to become an active ally because I think previously they thought, well, if I just sit back on the sidelines, like it's fine. I'm not saying anything negative. So therefore it's positive. And it's like, no, you're not saying anything negative or if you're not saying anything at all, then the only voices that are heard are negative voices. And that's what is going to undermine any positive movement. And so I think it's really Mm -hmm. mobilized people um, in, in that way. The only downside is then you still have, um, a lot of people who are more comfortable being vocal about the opposite of that. And that's, yeah. it's just, I, I, I struggle with that every single day when I think about that, you know? Mm-hmm. But and uh, at the same time as well, but I, like you said, I'm, I have to look at the silver linings and, and see it as a positive that people are now having these uncomfortable conversations. And even in terms of like being able to, to now see and read things you know like there are a number of books by great british authors you know i mean that are coming out about the exact topic um of being black in britain um a couple to name like um why i'm no longer talking to white people about race was a great book um and you know incredible book and also um the natives by akala as well that really inspired a lot of lion and truth um there ain't no black in the union jack as well like there are so many great books that i wasn't even aware of i didn't right. know that our history was being written about you know what i mean because yes. like i said we're only like first second if anything third generation um so it's great to see these things being documented in books but i was like are we documenting enough in music as well right. so that's really my push not just for the releases of this year but also like years to come i really want people to be able to hear and feel what we're experiencing right now definitely you're listening to after the encore i'm your host joe shaw and we'll be right back after this 
Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. I'm here with Lady Sanity. And now I really want to know about this uh, quarantine project, a problem shared. So you you did this <laughs> entire thing with Cousin Fred in quarantine? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, um, that's nuts. Yeah, it's cra- it was crazy. And it was, it was a... It was an interesting experience, but also I feel like my whole life has kind of prepared me for stuff like this because, um, like I said, when I was a teenager, I wasn't the most confident. So I've always had a bedroom set up from when, like, I I first started to, like, dabble in music. I've always had my own equipment and, like, facilities to record at home. My thing was I was trying to really push myself out and record in studios and be around people when sure. I'm creating music. So it's almost like 2020 was like, nah, you can do that another year. Like you have to revert back and do the stuff you were doing when you were growing up. Right. So um, <laughs> it's been an interesting one for sure. But um, yeah, all done literally just through communication. Um, yeah whatsapp and instagram dms and right. you know what i mean what send did, and drop box yeah. files <laughs> did, <laughs> did you know fred uh previously had you worked with him or was this your first project working with him um no i, I to be fair like this is the first time i've worked with him and it was the first time i'd heard of him as well which is crazy um so the whole project actually came together a publishing company called audio network basically um reached out to my manager and was like we have a project in mind and we'd love to have Sandy on board um, me and my manager actually went into their office I think like a month before lockdown in Feb sat down had the conversation and was like cool yeah let's make this project and then from that um, Fred just kept on sending beats and for like I think a good two three months solid he was just sending beats and I'd just be like picking out beats and then obviously we were supposed to then go into the studio and record it, I think about April. But by the right. time it got to end of March, it was like, nope, everybody's <laughs> locked down. You're not going anywhere, which right. bummed me out. I literally yeah. came back from like an amazing UK mini tour and I was just told like, no, you have to stay indoors. <laughs> so, <laughs> but at the same time, it really gave me the space to like really write and um, be consistent and really think about what I was doing. So um yeah, it was an interesting opportunity. I didn't even know Fred was from my hometown either. I thought yeah. it was just a lot of the time when you're working on music, especially if it's anything for a company, it's yeah, this person's from London, right? And like you're the, you're the outsider, and it's like right. okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was it was a great connection to know that he was actually from Birmingham as well. Um, and yeah, man, like luckily the company liked it enough, and we liked it enough as well to then say, you know should it be put out for streaming as well? Cause it was just supposed to go on their library for them to pitch to like for oh, advert. Nice. And yeah. It was just literally supposed to be for them to sync um, and yeah. Try and get it on adverts and, and you know, TV shows and things oh, like sure. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they saw the potential for it and we did to, to put it out there for streaming and they were like, 
cool which was nice as well because for yeah. the first time like i didn't have to do it i just had to record my vocals and send it off i didn't have yeah. to worry about you know chasing the the mix and master engineer right. over for the tracks it was like right. and then get it sent back so promotion <laughs> it's just like here's some files to put up on social media <laughs> you're like cool all right done i can do that <laughs> yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah man it's, it's been an interesting one but really it, enjoyable was there a specific um you know you talked about it being created for originally for that like advert and, and library type thing. Um, mm -hmm. Was there a specific lens or theme that you approached these songs with, or was it more just like, I'm listening to the beat, this is what I'm getting out of it and I'm writing the lyrics and then recording off of that? Yeah, man. Um, the thing is they left it so open. It, it was literally that like I always, especially if it's a project that I'm being commissioned to do um, it's like, you know, what, what are you guys after? And the lady from audio, audio network was just like whatever you want to do <laughs> <laughs> so i was like cool they're literally just after like rap and, right. and you know uk grime music so i was like okay cool um and i the beats that fred sent me it was like pretty much whatever spoke to me first because all the beats that he sent were amazing but there were some that drew me in faster than others right and um yeah, I literally just let the music speak to me and it just transported me into places and then I just go with it. So. Right. Yeah, no, I like, I, I that's super cool. I want to know, like, I want to almost take a moment. There's a, a, a point that I had that really stuck, stuck in my mind. So growing up in America, obviously, like I was, you know, very familiar. We talk about uh, American hip hop, American rap. You know, I grew up listening to Jay Z, and uh, because I'm white, Eminem, um, and <laughs> I'm just being transparent. And and so, but also Busta Rhymes, as well as Biggie Smalls and Tupac, of course. Yes. Um, and then later, not a lot like Chance the Rapper, Kendrick Lamar. I mean, yes. these pioneers Ooh. and then like the new crop of folks. But I say all that because it does feel very much like an American established genre in, in that sense so what has yeah. been your perspective of being a uk rapper uk hip-hop artist um mm -hmm. and do is how do you how do you um or let me let me maybe this is the way i want to say it is like based off of that <laughs> structure and historical background how do you feel that you fit in with the genre being from the uk in a historically predominant American genre? I hear that, man. That's a great question, by the way. Um, I feel like I fit in just because, again, um, me being so, uh, like a lover of, of hip hop and old school hip hop, I felt so connected to like the story of the pioneers and, you right. know, the, the DIY spirit of, of hip hop and rap. Um, you know, when it was in its early days, it was like you was just trying to rock a crowd, right? You was just trying to have a good time. All you really needed, well, you don't really need anything to rap, which I think is right. the most beautiful thing about the genre. Like, yep. if you don't have a pen and paper, then just freestyle. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. There's, there's not really, whereas when, when you're a singer, it's like, oh, you need to have a great voice. When you're a producer, you need to have all this equipment. When you're a rapper, it's just like. You got to have something to say that's it i just basically yeah, yeah. You know what i mean like yeah. it's just going with your thoughts and your feelings so that was something that i definitely could connect with um and then yeah i just ran with it so i, I think especially right now it's it's such a exciting time to be a rap artist from the uk because yeah. 
like you said, um, hip hop is so predominantly like when you think of hip hop, you think of, like you said, your biggies, your two packs and this, that and the other. And I feel like UK rap artists are now starting to knock on the doors and the industry is starting to look at us because, you know, before, before like this generation of rap, it was like people were doing it, but they weren't getting industry recognition. Yes. Well, if there were, it was very limited. Yes. But now I can turn on a radio in the UK and it will just be UK artists. Like I can say about five years ago, that would not be the case. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. At all, like predominantly UK, US artists for sure. Yeah. But to know that I can turn on the radio now and just hear like a good three hours of UK music is like, Right. crazy yeah so it's such a like inspiring time and exciting time to be like a, a, a uk artist doing any genre of music to be fair but most definitely rap most definitely grime like for sure i definitely love that i want to know you know we're starting to to get towards the end of the episode and wind down but i want to know what is an interesting story about either a problem shared as a whole or maybe one individual song that you would love for people to know about Mm-hmm. um a story i'd probably have to go with the with the title track um a problem shared because although don't get me wrong i love all of the tracks sure, on of there course. and the stimulus for the whole thing was literally just stories that i've seen and that can that people like me can relate to people from my area in birmingham that isn't the greatest area um can relate to do you know what i mean but yeah. the, the thing with um the track a problem shared is i wrote it from a headspace of someone that is very heavily affected by their mental health in in a bad way because everybody has mental health right but it's like what state is it in do you know what i mean and with lockdown being in full swing um i really wanted to reflect on how young black people especially treat their mental health because i think in our culture, it's almost a taboo to talk about it. I think we're getting yeah. better. But right. if, for example, I was to talk to like my grandparents' generation or even my parents' generation, like we don't speak about things like that. We don't speak about depression. We don't speak about anxiety. Right. I was diagnosed with, with anxiety last like late last year. Wow. And I just, just I didn't know what it was. Like I spoke to my mom about it various times and I'd I'd been having panic attacks since like 16, but I'd speak to to my family members and like people about it. And it wasn't that they didn't care because, you know, we're a very caring family. It's just that nobody had really expressed that or really spoke about the signs. Yep. And I happened to go to the doctors one day because I was really like stressed about why I felt like I couldn't breathe. Right. And and I was told, you know, it's probably panic attacks. Like they checked me out, I was fine. Um, so our problem shared was really talking about that, like, I want you to speak to me about your issues and what you're going through, like mentally and emotionally, because right now, especially like we need to band together and we need to discuss these topics that may be uncomfortable, but you know, your problem is my problem. And if we communicate it, then, you know, we can both come out on top. We can help each other to heal. So definitely there was um, a good friend of mine who's a, host of the podcast the reality is anthony uh Mm -hmm. you know black man growing up in the south he talked about the the mental health uh stability of a black america a southern 
uh, American black family was, oh, you're just not praying hard enough. Like you're not going to enough church. Like it's not a lack of caring because everybody was caring, but just like, you don't need that. Like that's, that's, you're just not like, you just need to keep praying. Like you'll, it'll get taken care of. Just, just keep praying. And, and that does damaging or damages yeah. one's psyche and, and overall mental stability and health. When you, when you as an individual mm-hmm. think that the reason you're not able to function is because you have a fundamental flaw as a person, but that it's mm-hmm. not a real problem because nobody else is giving it, is validating it. Yeah. That's where you start seeing suicide rates. And that's where you 100%. start seeing a lot of um, inability to get out of a self-fulfilling system, such as like yeah. the prison system, the drug system, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yeah. Cycle. Yep. Exactly. And then once well, you get into that, it it's hard to escape it for sure. A hundred percent. And like you said, it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing, like, because that's a running narrative. I feel mm-hmm. for, my grandparents' generation probably, you know, you just need to pray more. Right. Um, and it's not a lack of caring, like we've talked, like we discussed, it's more a lack of understanding. Yes. Um, and we, we can only really hope that, you know, the discussions that we're having right now will make it easier for generations to come. Do you know, um, yeah. you can be the biggest believer but there are some things that praying can't get to the bottom of, yep. you know? Um, and even when I, I'd, I'd speak to people in university, like I had, I had friends from, you know, up and down the country in university and they'd be like, Oh, like my mom's got therapy or I've got therapy. And I'm like, what? Because again, in black, in, in a lot of black families, like therapy is, is seen as, you know, Oh, you don't go to therapy. on like, you're absolutely like bouncing yeah. off the walls crazy like therapy right. isn't a thing like so when you're in a room with people talking about therapy so openly you're like yo what's wrong like right. <laughs> you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah, exactly um but again it's it's something that i think we're getting better with talking about and i hope more people feel comfortable with with just understanding if that's yeah. where you need to be then that's where you need to be again don't think that being you know going to therapy or anything like that is is making you any less of a person or makes you um seen in a negative light because as humans we if we need stuff then you know our our mental health is just as important as our physical health so we need to look after it right same way if you have an injury you need to you know go to the doctors if if you feel mentally you're not up to scratch then you know go to speak to someone professionally about it definitely Definitely. Oh, this has been really great. I've got two final questions for you. First of all, it's an easy sure. one. If people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Okay. So yeah, that's super easy. Um, <laughs> Lady Sanity on absolutely everything. Um, I believe I'm on all forms of social media. So yeah. Perfect. And then the last one is if somebody's listening and they want to break into the music industry, what's either a piece of advice or a mantra that you have for yourself that you would like to pass on to them? Mm, a piece of advice would to a piece of advice I'd give them is to always remember why they wanted to start music in the first place. That's something that my mom has constantly said to me. Um, 
and like my mom's like my best friend but I remember there was there've been so many points in my career where I'm like I don't know if music is for me and she's always said to me like well why did you start and it's that love and that passion that always brings me back and thinks you know especially as you start to climb up and you see things like in numbers you know right. streams and and money you know is this paying the bill is this doing x y and z if you're passionate about about it and you remember why you started then none of those things will ever matter definitely you know i love it so well yeah. thank you so much for being on the show today this has been an absolute pleasure Oh, thank you for having me. Honestly, it's been a great conversation. So you're thank welcome. you. And uh, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And here to play us out one last time is Lady Sanity.
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.